Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Kosowski here as usual with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello. How are you doing today? Excellent. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Good. All right. So we're going to wrap up our coverage of the Sundance Festival for this year, 2022 already. Um, we're, yeah, we're just going to talk about some of the films we saw. Uh, most of these are going to come out. So it's like a, an overview of the festival, but also like a quick preview of what you guys will be seeing. Well, we'll all be seeing soon. Start us off, Courtney. Well, you know what? Let's talk about Framing Agnes. And this is the um, new film from Chase Joint. Um, you might remember their work as part of the um, co-directing duel that did that great doc that we saw at hot dogs last year called no it was t- tiff maybe last year uh, no ordinary man yes yeah i, I uh, think it was Tiff. yeah the billy tipton story which was fantastic so this is um their first i guess solo feature film work and it looks at agnes who was essentially um, a pseudonym of this um, pioneering transgendered woman who participated in a UCLA. UCLA study in the 1960s that was run by Harold Garfinkel. And the study was looking at um, gender health. And some of the stuff that came out of that study kind of shaped how people view sexuality, health, and especially gender, and also um, transgender individuals moving forward. So in many ways, Agnes was this one of the early heroes of of the um, transgender movement in terms of making them making transgender individuals actually be seen as regular human beings um, and what joint does with this film similar to um, no ordinary man is they pull in different transgender actors uh, to try to recreate some of the the dialogue that was taken from those research things but they also break down the process of making a documentary so you see joint talking with the participants as they're working out the ideas and what did certain things mean um, while also recreating this kind of fictional interview that's based off of real life events. I know that sounds complicated, but trust me, it works wonderfully. It's it's I, I really enjoy this style of documentary that uh, joint is bringing to just the realm of, of cinema. And I was I found this a really interesting and fascinating look at a lot of the stereotypes, the misconceptions. There's a really riveting part talking about how um, transgender people of color have been marginalized even within the transgender community, yet they've kind of been at the forefront for fighting for equal rights and just that kind of dichotomy of like, you know, you're fighting the rights for everyone, but the people that you're fighting the rights for are also treating you like garbage. It's, it's a really wonderful film that I, I highly recommend. Yeah, and also, you know, just to continue on that point, you know, the weight that is on uh, their shoulders by, you know, by being in a minority, within a minority, um, that certainly comes through in the film. And um, their expert that's in the film, I think it's a sociologist, um, you know, they talk about the implications, like they try to break down how difficult it was. And they also talk to the the actor who happens to be Angelica Ross from Pose. So there's so much, and there's, I love Joint's camera work. 
when there's the discussion going on in between the interview parts, there's the discussion, but there's also these points at which the camera just like studies a face. You know, one of the, one of the actors faces while they're having a discussion or while the, the expert is talking about how hard this must have been. And, the, and when I say expert, I'm not talking about like some harsh voice of authority. I'm talking about someone you know, with lived experience, someone who's sympathetic, empathetic. And um, it, I just appreciated how much this film just played around with, you know, cinematic form and like breaking down the categories like what's a documentary what's a drama let's just you know let's just blur the lines and play with that while bringing forward these really important stories and some really important points about the burden of being in the public eye uh yeah there, there's some really revealing um things that they bring out that i really appreciated that i never thought of um but in like the whole package is so engaging like the film like i'm so glad they won an award yeah yeah it's a it's a great film um i want to bring in another one since we're we're talking about identity um this one is another documentary called my old school and this one is falls under that category of documentary where the story is so crazy that you can't believe it's real, but it really happened. And this one follows the, the story of 16-year-old Brandon Lee, who in 1993 enrolled in a um, school, a high school in Scotland. And apparently he had moved there from Canada. His mother was an opera singer, but had an accident. So he had to go with, live with his grandmother in Scotland. A little off. Um, but eventually he starts to kind of grow a, a sense of community within the school. And he's like just super smart, wild all the teachers. And then while on vacation, something happens and people start to look at Brandon slightly different. You know, maybe Brandon is not quite who he appears to be. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about this film. The has um, Alan Cumming, the great actor, is is in the film. He was originally supposed to play Brandon in the, um, I guess, film version of his life several years ago, and that production fell through. So now, what the the directors did is they they talked to to Brandon, um, and but he didn't want to be put on camera, so they got Alan Cumming to basically lip sync the interview. Uh, so you're seeing Alan Cumming play this character who I'm just going to say may not be the per per person you think he is. So there's certain layers to it. They interview a lot of his classmates. They bring in animation, archival footage, and it's just a sensational story that is done in such a entertaining way um, and tackles a lot of themes like racism um addiction just a whole plethora of stuff but in a really entertaining i can't believe this happened packaging um and that is all i will will say about this film because i do not want to spoil it i went in kind of knowing absolutely nothing and i just had a, a blast with this with this wild film so i i definitely would recommend um my old school 
when when that comes out. I'm sure that will probably play the festival circuit and hit theaters quite soon. And speaking of people that are not who they seem, I'm going to talk about a polarizing film. Um, and I, I would say that as a compliment, but it's a film called Fresh. And it stars, um, I guess, the, the probably the biggest name is Sebastian Stan, who people might remember as Bucky from uh, Captain America or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a bunch of a, a slew of other films. But he essentially plays this guy, Steve, who is a bit quirky, but he ends up wooing this um, young woman, Noah, played by Daisy Edgar Jones, and they start this relationship and he decides that he's going to take her on a vacation for the weekend. Um, but they make a pit stop at his place and they never leave. You find out that Steve is not necessarily this charming guy that he appears to be. He's actually a dude that has a side business where he abducts women and sells their meat to wealthy people over the internet. It is a... Oh, Courtney, come on. You should have given us a warning about this description. No, no, no. You need to know because this is... This is... It is a thriller. I'm going to eat lunch in a few minutes. Come on. Well, you know, after you see this film, you may may not want to eat or you may prefer steaks. But it's a... It's a... It's a really... It's just a... um, kind of dark comedy horror film that is really divided audiences. I think it works because of Sebastian Stan gives such a great performance. You know, he is that charming, suave kind of deranged killer in, in, in many ways. And the film takes a lot of twists and turns. Uh, so it's kind of skewing a certain type of lifestyle, especially those people who are, have so much money that they're bored with regular society and need interesting things. Like, you know how Squid Game had those wealthy people that love to watch the game just because they had nothing better to do? Well, it's similar to that. Like, they have these wealthy clientele and, you know, they talk about how women are often objectified for their bodies and literally, in this case, for for their bodies. And it's it's just a really strange, but I found it entertaining film as i said it really divided audiences at sundance the there doesn't seem to be middle ground people either really enjoyed it or were turned off by it but i i think it's if you're looking for like one of those kind of fun midnight films <laughs> it is definitely worth worth a watch um, now I, I know the truth now <laughs> i know the truth about you you're so twisted <laughs> listen it is it is also a tale of female empowerment that's all i will say but uh you know, and the, the director Mimi Cave, she does a lot with this with this film. Like, you know, there was a couple of really strange, disturbing films that played the midnight section. Uh, you know, some were great, some were just terrible. Uh, but this one, I think, fits nicely in between. It's entertaining. It is what it is. You just kind of takes your mind off of things, and it was fun. But I will present another film that. I know you saw as well. That is lighter in tone, but it's also about people not quite being who they appear to be. And that was Haunt for Jesus, Save Your Soul. 
Uh, oh, do you want to yes. <laughs> share some of your thoughts on, on that one? Um, hunt for Jesus, save your soul is, is not going to, um, change like cinema history. It's like, it's not, uh, completely innovative in its, in its form or its content. The actual story is, I think, very familiar, you know, one of those mega churches and this pastor and his wife or, you know, the couple, I don't even know how to refer to them anymore, like like the couple in charge, like it seems like they're both in charge of of this church. Um, the, The film opens when they are reopening, they're planning the big reopening of their church, they had to close it down because of um some accusations against the pastor and what i will say about the film is that it's 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 so satirical Um, and the thing is that's that's what i mean about it not being innovative it's like it's satirical on a subject that just from what we've already seen about mega churches it's almost satirizing satire. Like it's this subject is kind of twisted in its own way. Like the way that, that people have twisted religion, but yeah. So they're trying to rehabilitate their, their image and trying to open this church. Um, And the fabulous thing about the film is the performances, Regina Hall and Sterling K Brown. I mean, I am a super fan of Sterling K Brown. To me, every time he like he could read a phone book, and and I would be like just enraptured, uh, because he just brings so much. Whether it's comedy, whether it's tragedy, and in this case, he he does so much, even with just his face. You know, like some of these lines are delivered kind of straight faced, but there's so much bubbling underneath the surface because there is so much bubbling underneath the surface of his character. And of course, not to slight Regina Hall, like she's, they're, they're a perfect match, a perfect pair to be bringing this story uh, to audiences, you know? Yeah, I, I agree in terms of the the performances. I thought they were both great. I I thought Regina Hall had to do a little bit more of the, the heavy lifting as the, the wife, um, Trinity Childs, who has to not only deal with reopening the church, but also deal with the legacy of a scandal that her husband, um, Lee Childs, was involved in that kind of caused the church to to close temporarily in, in the first place. Uh, but she was also really great in Master as well. Like This was kind of the year where at Sundance she had just two really strong performances. I enjoyed this film, but I, I kind of agree with you. It didn't move the needle that much for me. I actually watched the short film afterwards that this was based on and i actually enjoyed the short slightly more because i thought the ideas were were better contained uh, i think one of the issues i had with this film is they incorporate a kind of mockumentary format for portions of it so their camera crew is following the couple as they're opening the church but then you also see moments when the camera crew is not there and i guess you see like the real couple you know, and I thought the way how the mockumentary moments are interjected didn't quite work with the the real moments behind the scenes. Like I felt like either pick one or the other, just do like a straight show us behind the scenes all the event, or do it come full mockumentary style. And then in while the camera's there, you see the cracks forming a bit a bit more. Um, you know, or have the camera secretly capturing some encounters like 
when he's shooting the basketball with one of the camera crew men, you know, moments like that, that reveal a bit more. So I think just the, the format of it, how it was constructed, didn't quite hit the notes for me the way it should, but the, the, this is a film that is really about the performances and the performances are, are so good that I was willing to overlook the flaws. Yeah. And yeah it's a, it's an entertaining film. Um, you know, you, you, you watch it, you have some laughs. I don't know if it will change one's views on mega churches. It's just, it, it is what it is as a, as a film. But. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, let's change gears for a bit. Cause I know you saw aftershock. Do you want to talk yes. about that? This, this is a major changing of gears and talk about, uh, I can't believe this is actually happening. Like that was sort of a theme we, you touched on earlier in this discussion. Um, but this is in the, the most horrific way of, I can't believe this is happening. Aftershock is a documentary that deals with this alarming proportion of black women who die in childbirth or just after childbirth every year in the US. And the numbers are so disproportionate that is something like a black woman is four times more likely to die. And so what the documentary does is it starts with the personal. It starts with some dads telling their stories, telling the story of, of each woman and bringing her death so vividly it bringing it to our attention, like telling us about it and, and just giving her the respect and giving that experience, the respect that it deserves because, you know, no one talks about this and it might just be part of a statistic, but this documentary brings faces. It, you know, there are pictures of the women. There are like uh, videos of the women, you know, this is an age where everything is documented, right? So it starts with the dads and a couple of them, and then how they formed sort of a support group, but also um, they're trying to to bring the issues to the foreground and affect some change. Um, and there's a mother of one of the women as well. And so you get this like really intimate footage in the families and how it affects the families. And then from there, it starts to mix in the statistics. It like it, it starts to like tell you exactly how prevalent, exactly how this breaks down. And then we start talk, you know, to see the health, some of the healthcare providers and people. And we do follow one couple who decide to spend the money and go to like a birthing clinic that's like not to the hospital but to a birthing clinic. And, and it gets into the, even the whole history of how um, this whole, this issue, uh, you know, of, of that's a women's ish, in, issue in a way in terms of uh, it's a women's health issue. It's a like a women's body issue in general, giving birth, um, how it, it went from the hands of women, midwives who had the knowledge, who had the empathy, who, you know, who understand what's going on and uh, it went from them and historically got taken out of their hands and put into the hands of men in institutions. Um, so it's, it gives you this larger larger picture uh, while it's still reminding you of these individuals. And so it's, it's very impactful. This film is very impactful. And I hope a lot of people see it. Um, it won a, a special jury award at this festival 
um, it, the Impact for Change Award. Oh, and okay. I, so yeah, so I hope I hope that because it's it's the you know when I said it's the I can't believe this is happening, you just sort of think I can't believe this is in the United States, right? Um, and in this day and age. So the, this festival, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about a, a couple of others, right? A couple of other films. This festival has been fantastic for, for women artists and uh, women's issues. But it turns out that I ended up watching three films about giving birth. This is, is the saddest, you know, the most shocking and horrible one of them all. It's hard to say though because, but they're yeah, all, this, they're all they're all tough. Yeah, but this one was the toughest. It, it's just you know, footage of people like you know, exciting like a couple being excited and talking about the baby that's to come, you know, on their cell phone, and then you hear the story, and it it's just yeah, impact for change award. This everybody has to watch this one. Well, since you you mentioned that you saw three, I know another one that you saw. That I think I I watched as well, related to men controlling women's um, rights, whether or not they should have children, is, is the Janes, um, which is a really fascinating documentary that looked at a a group of women in Chicago who essentially formed this collective known as the Janes, and they were essentially helping women to get safe abortions when abortions were illegal in the, in the U S and it kind of goes through how they organized, how they saw a, a direct need because their friends, family members were essentially doing self abortions, which was even more damaging and, you know, the, the laws and the people that were kind of controlling the medical field were all men. Um, so they opened up their own clinics and people's apartments and houses and just created this elaborate network. And it was allowed to thrive because no one thought that, hey, women would be smart enough to do something like this, um, yeah. and, <laughs> which is which is fascinating. That's so, the irony. Right? Yeah, the film kind of explores uh, what the Janes did and then. Similar to your point about Aftershock, it also looks at the racial divide and the class divide. Like one of the women even talks about how she noticed that the members of the Jane were predominantly white affluent women, but the people that ended up using Jane the most were women of color from low income communities and how she never thought about the economic divide that came until that happens, right? And then you start to think of like abortion laws now and how Roe v. Wade is being, you know, challenged in the U.S. and who's going to really be impacted the most. And also if it gets turned over, you're essentially going to go back to this, this. Yeah, this era where women um, will do whatever they need to do if they need to have an abortion. So yeah, it was a really interesting um, documentary. What, do, what did you think of it? Oh, I thought it was fantastic. I, I really... Um, I was really surprised at how candid everybody was. Uh, not to, I guess surprised isn't it, but it, I appreciated the intimacy. I appreciated the candor. Everyone is just telling you exactly what it was like. And as you said, a lot of um, the women in the film 
they were somehow impacted. They had an abortion or they knew someone who was affected by the abortion laws, by uh, being able to have an abortion or not, or, you know, having a scary experience, which, which seemed to happen a lot. And I appreciated the, just this story that like showed us what happens when people band together, you know, when people come together and how these women solved the problem in their own way um, and the bravery, the courage it took knowing that, you know, I'm breaking the law, but I have to do this. And that over and over, like I kept hearing that kind of message from these women and that's an incredibly brave way of of looking at a situation you know you just have to help you have to do something about this um and it's like when i say the film was lively i was just thinking like the editing <laughs> sorry i keep going back to like the way things are made no no that's I, good the, the editing was just so energetic um so i'm not saying that it made this a joyful experience no i'm just saying it was so, it made it so vivid, right? The the combination of the candor and the combination of the way that the archival footage with the intimate interview footage was put together was just, yeah, it's, it's a, an incredibly well-made film. Yeah, and it's, and again, the 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 social divide is, is really fascinating, especially how certain members of the Janes either didn't think that they would ever get caught or pretty much knew if they got caught their their standing as a middle-class educated woman would get them off a lot easier than some of the other women in the group like it's just a really there's so many layers yeah i mean it's, isn't film. that interesting yeah. right it reminds white people of their privilege like that you don't even think you know here i am a white woman commenting on how brave these women were when it's like well maybe that's because they didn't think that you know, they just assumed it, it would be okay to mm -hmm. be caught. Or I don't, like, there was some subconscious level at which they didn't have to have that extra added layer of fear of what would happen if they got caught. Yep, that's right. Um, do you want to talk about the midwives? Because I think that was the, the third in your trifecta. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes. So in in terms of wrapping up this whole little minor thing, sub theme going through uh the sundance festival i really appreciated like all the films and then i didn't plan to do this but i ended up watching um three films that were uh, similarly thematically related but you know each of them very different different perspective and um midwives won a special jury award for excellence in verite filmmaking which it richly deserves. Uh, it's the story of two women in Myanmar, and one is a Buddhist and the other is a Muslim, a Rohingya woman. Um, but they're working together. The, the Buddhist woman, sorry, I should say their names. Uh, Kla, she's the the owner of this makeshift hospital and she's a midwife she is like exactly what you know this is the this was the third i watched in a row so by the time i got to this like this concept of midwife midwifery and and learning from others um sort of a, apprenticing and sort of like 
the skills and the knowledge passed down. Um, there she is. She's the she's the expert. She's the owner of this hospital, and she, her apprentice um, is Nyao Nyao. And the two of them are working together. So you see what exactly they're up against. It's like they're in a very small community, um, and a, most of the people, most of the women that come in for their births are the women from the Muslim community. But, you know, she doesn't really care. Like, she just wants to help any woman who needs her help and her skill. And she's trying to, you know, teach her apprentice. Um, so you can tell that this is a film where they've lived with the camera for a long time. They're very comfortable. Um, and oh, But also the, the, the camera, the filmmakers, they're like, or the filmmaker, she, she knows exactly how to position her position her camera she knows exactly uh like even the rhythms of life and like it's it just captures so much and it's it's a situation in which she's she's showing you what they go through she's showing you their relationship uh Hla is kind of a tough taskmaster in a way she has this kind of brash personality and <clears throat> the other one, the other woman is kind of a dreamer. Uh, and so there's the, these, all these like layers of understanding and, and meaning. And um, plus, you know, we get to watch babies being born. <laughs> <So> <laughs> <laughs> but it tells you so much about what's going on in Myanmar because there is uh, around them and what they're trying to do for the greater good there are these protests and they're getting more and more dangerous and they're 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 protests against the rohingya even though it's like there's this is a community that's primarily rohingya and it has been <clears throat> for generations the situation in myanmar is getting to to the point where or at least at the the, the making of this film is getting to the point where it's getting dangerous for everybody involved you know it's just making it difficult okay um, speaking of protests, do you want to talk about Free Chol Soli? Oh yeah, Free Chol Soli. Oh, like I'm just saying. Oh yeah, like there's so many great films that I saw. Uh, Free Chol Soli is is an this is another this is another documentary about how much change still needs to happen. What happens is Chol Soli was a man who lives in Chinatown. He was a Korean man. In the 70s, he he was well known in Chinatown in San Francisco. As, as large as Chinatown is, it was sort of a small community in a way, in the sense that like, he was very social and like, was always around. So people knew him, but he, especially because he stood out as one of the few Koreans. There, the, the Korean Korean community was not that large, so he was referred to as the Korean. And what happened was that at 20 years old, he was wrongly accused of murder. And as the, as the film progresses, you see how flimsy that evidence was. Um, but what the documentary stresses is that not only was this man wrongly jailed and wrongly accused, but how this, the justice system was just so racist at the time the people in Chinatown could tell you 
The Korean didn't do that. It was a system in which the police, everybody listened to some white witness, supposed witnesses who were standing like a whole bunch of feet away, as opposed to all the people in Chinatown who said, no, I know the Korean. He didn't do it. I saw the guy who did it, but I know, and I don't know who that was, but I know for sure it's not, it wasn't the Korean. And so that flimsy kind of evidence and the, the film really comes to life because it's, uh, it's the struggle of a community that like sort of came behind him. He spent uh, that just the longest time in jail before people finally realized, you know, what had happened. happened, Yeah. Yeah. And then they started rallying behind him and then the protests started and, um, and then the push for change started. And while this is going on, he's in prison and he was able to, to recall that in, in memoirs. So you do have like an actor portraying his voice. You, you do have that going on. Uh, while there's also footage of him speaking about his innocence. And so it's all like woven together, like really quite intricately, but it's the story that is really, you know, it sort of wants to galvanize people and say, you know, we have, we have to fight against injustice, everybody, um, mm. because look how, how easily this injustice was done and how it could ruin someone's life. Because yeah. he's, he's 20 years old when he was he was put in jail. Um, so, yeah, it's a very effective documentary. Oh, great. I look forward to seeing that. Um, to keep with the themes of community coming together and, and fighting injustice, I know we both saw The Territory, which is um, one of the award winners at Sundance. And I was really taken by this film. Um, it's, it's about the indigenous Uru... Ooh, wow, uh, sorry if I mispronounced that um, community, but this indigenous group in Brazil who I guess f- were in the, the community reached the tens of thousands until the non-Brazilian natives kind of came in and started to disrupt their land. And now the the Uru population has dwindled down to a little over 200 or so individuals. And they are now not only having to put up with right-wing governments that are running Brazil, but also local settlers and um, farmers who are basically saying, hey, you guys have way too much land. How about we just divide it up? You know, forget the indigenous indigenous rights laws that are here let's just divide up your land so that we all can have our own little you know place to build our homes and yes and they they are bolstered by the fact that this right-wing government came in yes and Bolsonaro said uh, there will be no more indigenous land you know I'm going to get rid of that Mm -hmm. that's what he basically said and these guys know it so they individually that they're like well, I mean, I just had to like clear the land yeah. and then I will arrange for the papers to make it official with the government. But the government is backing what I'm doing. I, I know I've heard them. Yeah. And this film does a really good job of showing the juxtaposition of 
those who are like you you see all sides of the debate but those who are clearing the land and like you see as they're cutting down the trees and they're literally burning like starting massive forest fires so that they can burn down the land and then you see a snapshot of like basically desolate land that they envisioned building their houses and ranches on and then the lush amazon that the uru live in and how you know those trees are used for medicine and there's like so many things that happen and occur like they help control climate change like everything um kind of everything is based on those trees being where they are and once you remove them you're creating a a domino effect of just destructive um things that are occurring but what i also really liked about this documentary is because it shows you both sides of the issue you really feel the tension ramp up because it gets to the point where um the uru are basically saying look we have to take matters into our own hands and they have essentially community patrols that go out and that's and you know they're confronting these people that are coming into the into their territory at night and chopping down and it's a very dangerous thing that they're doing and then also the settlers have this mentality of well i have to do what i have to do and then i'll clear it with the government later so it's just a recipe for disaster so i just found myself getting more tense as the the film was yes was going on and i think it's just a, a really uh, wonderful wonderful film yes i i found myself feeling that way as well and i know that part of it was 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 it was mostly because i empathized um and that because the filmmakers make their these people's lives so and they portray them so vividly um the indigenous community they 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 just portray it so well but also when they're like following everybody i mean they must have gotten the trust of these farmers somehow they're following them into the forest into the you know the amazon rainforest and uh, we're watching them cut with chainsaws and there's an actual violence in the way that that it's shot like it just it's shot from a certain angle and it just looks so shocking and violent and like the destruction is right there in a single shot and that you see over and over and over and so they're really reiterating even at a subconscious level just how damaging this is and just how i keep going back to the word violent but just how violent and destructive this is um to these individuals that we you know are watching the the indigenous community to them but just to the entire planet yes and um and just before we we jump to the next film i will i'll say that i i did catch a q and a for this film and the director was saying he, the reason he was able to get the farmers and the settlers perspective and all this is because he told everyone the same thing that he was going to make the film without any narration and just let people tell their own side of the story so for the farmers he said that you know they were very happy about that because they could get their point across but as a as a viewer when you hear their point and then you kind of see the whole thing as a whole night like, oh, i don't think you guys have a great argument to stand on but yeah it's <laughs> yeah you know, that's it's uh so selfish isn't it in context it's so selfish yeah it's 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 a it's a great doc um uh, you saw another doc that i was 
I didn't get a chance to fit into my schedule, but I was intrigued by it. And it's called I Didn't See You There. Do you want yes, to talk about I that? Didn't, I Didn't See You There won a documentary um, directing award. And uh, it's so well-deserved. Uh, filmmaker Reed Davenport, he's visibly disabled, uses a wheelchair. And it's, it's so simple what he does. Simple, but deeply effective. And, but I mean, simple as in the strategy is simple. He shoots the entire film from his point of view, literally from his point of view, in the wheelchair and how he can, he can like be on the street going by people. They don't see him. They block, you know, um, they block the, the parts of the sidewalk where he can, you know, go down and cross the street. They're like right there um that it's it's that but it's also he meditates sort of on the whole the greater issues of being visibly disabled and as it as it as it turned out he was shooting this film when a circus tent went up in his neighborhood and so inter intermingled with this sort of real life experience of how people treat him and how how he gets tries to get by in the world are these meditations on the greater issues of being visibly disabled um, at being looked at, you know, and the whole history of being looked at uh, because the circus tent to him brings up memories of freak shows. And those memories are, you know, people who might've been exactly like him, some of them. And they were just put on display for people to look at. And how sometimes that was the only way like, to make a living wage. You know, people were forced. So there's this like, there's this incredible dynamic that, that's going on between the past and the present and, and just reality, the reality of his, his life and experience. And I think it, it's really important to watch this film and experience I'm so glad that he did this. It's like, like I said, it just, it seems like a simple idea, but I don't think it's been done often, if at all. And it's so effective. Oh, good. I look forward to, to seeing that one. Um, before we end off, I'm just going to quickly mention Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which uh, was an audience award-winning film at Sundance this year. And it's um it's a charming romantic drama or dramedy, if you if you will, directed by Cooper um, Raif. And he, he also is the lead in this film. And he plays Andrew, a young man who's about 22 that just got out of college and doesn't quite have a sense of direction um, in his life just yet. So he's working at this lo local fast food chain, which he hates. And through a series of events, ends up getting a side gig as a party starter for bar mitzvahs um, because he was at one and got a whole bunch of people on the dance floor and all these Jewish moms said, Hey, you're, you know, you'd be great. And he essentially starts this little side business um, for the community. And of course with these bar mitzvahs, they're seeing all the same people there. So he befriends a mother by the name of Domino played by Dakota Johnson, whose daughter Lola is a teen who's autistic. Um, and he really is kind of 
ingratiate how does this he he really becomes one with that family like he he really connects with them they have a great rapport and he starts seeing through domino a a possible romantic future <clears throat> and she is clearly giving signs that she is into him but at the same time she also has a fiance who's frequently out of town so it's this kind of two people that are looking for a film about these two people that are looking to kind of move their lives forward and essentially kind of claim adulthood, let themselves find love and, and be loved. But is this particular person the one that that's going to open the door for, you know, or is it one of those cases where you meet the perfect person, but at the wrong time kind of thing. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a charming, it's funny. Um, I didn't love it as much as other people seem to. Uh, there's, there's, it, it walks a very tight rope in terms of being charming, witty, and true, or being a little too cutesy and a little too convenient at times. Like it's, it, it kind of straddles that line. Um, and I, so there's times where I was like, oh, you could have cut that, or what are you trying to to say here with all this kind of you know, whimsy, like there's certain emotional beats that didn't quite ring true for me. But then there's also some really charming moments where you're like, I can see why people would be swept up by this film. Like it it is a charming movie. It just doesn't work completely for me, but I can see why, why audiences love it. Um, Cha-Cha Real Smooth is definitely going to get a wide release. Um, It's just, it's the type of film that will, will play. It will be a date night movie for, for many couples. Um, or those who want to get a little emotional but still feel good by the end. So, you know, I, I would recommend it. I yeah. just don't think it's yeah, as great as everyone's been making it out to be, but still worth a watch. Yeah, but, you know, there's a bunch of rom-com fans out there just waiting to watch this one. Th- that is true. And, and I mean, like the, performances, the performances are, are solid. Um, yeah, it's, it's one that it's worth seeing. And especially after going through the wide ranging films that we've seen, it was kind of nice to just have something like cha-cha smooths that you play and you go, all right, that was, that was enjoyable. You know? Yeah. There's been a lot of um, heartbreak, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of heartbreak that I've witnessed. uh, Yeah. A lot of emotional, heavy content. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, it was a, it was a great festival. A lot of dust in my house as you would, as you would say, I wasn't crying. I was just the dust. Yes, I'm not crying. Dust, You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So, well, those are our insights into some of the films that were at Sundance this year. We're looking forward to catching some other films that are playing at theaters, which are opening or streaming or, you know, wherever you like to watch movies. So, oh, yeah, plenty of content for us to uh, talk about. Yeah, so so keep, you know, keep checking in with us and uh, we'll, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening.